you ever take a second to just think about how often we think about sex and how sex is used on a daily basis to make money, to get views, uh, for power, for pleasure, uh, as a as a tool to help identify your confidence? It is such a fascinating part of our lives, and it still baffles me that a lot of folks hide from it. A lot of folks still shame people for their sexuality or for their sexual interests, and how ashamed some people are for still being sexually active or for being interested or being turned on. And I'm still fascinated with the stigma that we give the porn industry. And there's a lot of preconceived notions that we have when it comes to that business. I don't know how many times I know folks that have watched a porn video going, okay, so this person must have come from some sort of abused childhood, or this person uh, must have some sort of mental disorder to be able to allow these folks to do all these things to him or her on that screen. Um, there are some situations in which that may be the case. Uh, this The porn industry has a well-founded stigma of being sort of a sleazy business, a business of men that are prowling predators that are hunting, uh, following their carnal instincts um, to uh, find their prey and make money off of them, use people. Um, that has been uh, the system for sex workers since I'm sure sex working began. Um, you know, there's this difficult uh, process of separating the cardinal desires that we all have and and the uh, the intoxicating power that one gets from manipulating people um, and then making it into a cleaner industry, like trans transitioning it into an industry that is safe, an industry that uh, doesn't uh, propagate disease, doesn't uh, you know, uh, treat people unfairly and imprison folks to in evil contracts. Um, and as I started to say these things out loud, <laughs> it sounds like I'm talking about the music industry to a certain extent, or even the film industry. The parallels that are drawn between folks that work in the adult entertainment industry and folks that work in the quote-unquote regular entertainment industry are incredibly similar. Uh, whether or not you're someone that is trying to slim your body down, trying to maintain a specific fitness um, to take off your clothes and be on screen, or if you're doing it just to be on screen with your clothes on. Um, it's the same thing. The same fears, the same anxieties are there. Um, and as the porn industry starts to clean itself up a bit and starts to change the way it does, and as there's more regulations that are put into place, you start to really see the parallels between being an actor or an actress on screen and being a porn entertainer and a porn actor on screen. So, um, and the physicality that comes with it is just so incredibly fascinating to me. Uh, and this will be, if you guys haven't heard it yet, this is our second episode on the porn industry. I did one previously, which is, of course, one of our most listened to episodes of this podcast. I interviewed Mr. Logan Pierce, who is a male performer in this business. And uh, we, I asked him all the hard-hitting questions. <laughs> I had to do it. I asked him all the hard questions 
about uh you know how you stay ready to to act you know the strain that it puts on your body um is it all about just you know getting getting off you know what i mean a lot of the stuff that we look at and go man that dude's fucking lucky and it's not necessarily the case really isn't it's a great episode go back and listen to it um and i've been wanting to do a follow-up episode i've been hunting far and wide to find um the right companion piece to that one um there are plenty of female performers out there uh wildly popular female performers out there but i was really hunting for somebody who seemed to have let's just put it bluntly their head screwed on right you know seemed to have the made decisions to get into this industry the the right way um and someone that was very much focused on sex education someone that had um an idea of the repercussions of being naked on the internet the repercussions of doing this sort of thing um and had a healthy career and a healthy outlook on it um and uh it's been a while in the making that's why it's taken so long to make this episode uh but i was very fortunate to get in touch with the lovely the amazing lexi luna now i'm sure you guys have known or seen her stuff um don't lie how many of you are on pornhub once a day let alone uh you know once a week and you can't lie to me the numbers on the fucking website say that you are um you, i'm sure you've seen her stuff on pornhub uh lexi has um her own websites she's had an only she's now working with a different company um she's very successful she got into the business later in her life um, we talk about uh, her early career um, and her early career path where she was going to be a teacher and working as an educator um, and uh, how stressful and how hard that job was and how much more abused you get as an educator, uh, as a, working as an educator than you do working in the porn industry, which is fascinating. Um, so we talk about that stuff and, and she talks about uh, the fact that she got into the industry later in her life and uh how that was a benefit for her i think this is an important episode there's a fascination that everybody has a lot of young folks have with living the life that they see on their phones living the life that they see online living their best life right uh and we get obsessed with instagram filters we get obsessed with the kardashians we get obsessed with porn stars we get obsessed of of what we think everybody thinks sexuality is and what we think looking good is and in making sure you're posing the right way how many fucking tutorials do you see on instagram that are teaching girls like whoa whoa, whoa you have to stand with your leg out and, and changing and lying about your physical appearance and saying like no one is going to approve the way you look if someone snaps a photo of you you have to change and alter all this stuff with these purchased filters and purchased phones and and all these positionings to be beautiful. And uh, I really want to combat that a bit in a responsible way. So I know you clicked on today's episode because you saw the thumbnail and you were like, ooh, porn star. And you know, I'm just going to say this right now. I triggered you the same way that a soda company, the same way that a jeans company, the same way that, a, that an app will trigger you. How many times a day do you feel yourself getting turned on for no reason? And you look and you go, that fucking advertisement, 
was doing it to me. They were manipulating me with that ad. Yeah, that's because it is such a powerful thing. Sex sells, and you hear that terminology all the time. It's important terminology to know um, as you work in this business. And when you start to work uh, as a director or somebody in the advertising industry, you really start to wrap your head around it. And if you start to do music videos for female artists, or if you start to do photo shots for female, photo shoots for female artists, you start to understand the power of the angle, the power of positioning, the power of the pose. And it's all sex driven. It's all there. Um, there was a great quote, and I'm going to forget who did it, uh, but there was a great quote from a pop star who was older, and she was like, I was tired. She, I, I stopped doing music videos because I was tired of looking to the camera and asking my fans to want to fuck me. And that's a big part of our industry. It's the most visceral part. I think the more, it, it's almost, it, it's slightly more than food <laughs> and hunger. There's a reason why they call it food porn. It's the same kind of thing. So without rambling and ranting too much, I'm excited about this episode. I'm excited that you're all here. Uh, big shout out to all the new folks that came over from Lexi's camp. Welcome. Uh, the show is called In Love With The Process. And what we do is we focus hard on the realities behind a lot of stuff. What it's like to be a filmmaker, what it's like to be an actor, what it's like to be a chef. Um, and believe it or not, it takes so long to find success uh, there's an old saying that it takes at least eight years before anybody gives a shit about who you are, unless you're going into the porn industry. But in that period of time, we're just sort of beating ourselves up constantly, constantly beating ourselves up. Like, am I good enough? I don't deserve to be here. Looking around a room with people that are better than you, feeling like an imposter. This show is trying to combat all of that stuff. And while you're working towards that goal, in that period of time it takes for anybody to notice that you exist, look around and appreciate all the things that you get. Appreciate the situations you find yourself in. And today is a great example of that. I get to actually sit down uh, and talk with a very talented porn star and actually get the realities behind it, which is nice. It's nice to be able to have that filter lifted. It's nice to actually hear how it works. Um, because at the end of the day, if I go back or when I go back and look at porn stuff, I'll be able to filter through some of that, be able to get through some of that haze and some of that marketing and some of that shit, and maybe actually get into something that really sort of connects with me, you know? So excited to have you here. Thank you everybody for following me on Instagram, uh, at Mike Petri on Instagram. Uh, there I have been posting contests. I've been giving away DVDs. We have been talking about filmmaking. It is the best place to get in touch with me. So if you like this episode, stop by, let me know. Let me know what you think. If you disagree with anything that we say on this show, argue with me on there. This is where I communicate with you guys. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram. That's in love with the process pod, in love with the process P-O-D on Instagram. Do the same thing there. And if you guys have suggestions, if there is an actor, an actress, a porn star, a musician, anybody that you want me to get on the show and interview, please do so. And if you send me a suggestion, follow it up by suggesting my show to five of your friends. The more listens that we have, our numbers are going through the roof, which is great, but the more listens that we have, the more comments that you leave on the show, leave a review for the show on Apple Podcasts. All these things help when I approach these people to be on the show, especially if I have to go through their PR folks. 
They're a huge pain in the ass most of the time. And they're like, how many views do you have? How many people listen? We'll find out. You know what I mean? It's a fucking pain in the ass. So your views, your listens help us get better content for the show. All right. That's it, man. Let's get into it. I'm excited. You know the deal. You got those noise-canceling headphones on. Crank them up to 11 and uh, sit back, find a nice, quiet place to relax. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the soothing sounds of Lexi Luna on the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. Lexi, thanks for being on the show. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I'm very excited. This has been a little a little time in the making, like going back and forth with emails, and I'm pumped that we finally got you on the show. I know. I think we had something scheduled, and then it was yeah. something happened. Yeah. It's, it's just the, the way these things go. It's the way things are, especially these days. I totally yeah. get it. Um, well, I'm very excited to have you on. I have... Uh, a lot of questions, a little bit of curiosities about uh, the business that you're in and the world that you live all the time. Um, and so thank you for being here. I am excited. I love questions and curiosities about the industry. It's because I know it so well and I feel like I'm so in it that it's easy and it's fun to talk about. Well, let's start at the beginning and we'll give a little history to the folks listening. Um, so I read online that you got into the business later, right? You got in at like 27 or something. Does that make sense? Yes, I was 26 and I had a whole career in elementary education before I came into the adult world. Oh, wow. I taught elementary school for five years. And after five years, I realized that I really wasn't going anywhere. There was no excitement. And, you know, the only excitement I could hope for was maybe getting my master's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like it's exciting. I love learning and that's fun, but like, I didn't want to be back in school after just being done with school <laughs> and having this career where I'm not even really sure that this is going to be something I can retire from in the future. Well, the teaching careers. Okay. So a bit of history about me before I got into the movie making business, I was working in uh, one of my, one of my second jobs. My first or second jobs is I worked in like the AV department for a public school system. Mm -hmm. And so I saw how difficult, how difficult it is to be a teacher, especially in the public school systems these days. Right. Um, and how and grossly underpaid it is and how you're basically uh, almost a, a victim to the PTA, like the, the Parent Teacher <laughs> Association. Um, sure. um, so it just seems incredibly unrewarding. Like did when you started to teach, did you have a different impression of what that business was going to be? And did it change or how did that well, play out? I, I, I went into the teaching world more so that I could do something with a base of an elementary ed degree. So, you know, there are other jobs that are available and, you know, some out of the country even that I would have been very qualified for having that, that you know, basic elementary education degree. Uh. I also specialized in English as a second language learners and 
um, rather English language learners <laughs> and yeah. a special needs students. So I had two additional certifications on my on my degree that allowed me to kind of further the scope, right? So I knew I was getting into a field that didn't reward financially, but I also knew that I was giving myself additional avenues through getting these other two degrees. Ah, and and then so what was the what was the pivot point for you that you were like, hey, I, I think I should get out of this business. It was my fifth year teaching, and um, I was brand new at a, at my fifth school because that's how it goes. You know, you, you lose your contract every year because right. you're the most junior teacher. You don't have the experience, and unfortunately, in some states, there are still tenured teachers who don't do anything and still make their money and, you know, don't do good things for kids. And, and it just like, I saw this cycle and I saw this pattern and I was like, I need to get out of the classroom. It doesn't have to be out of education, but I had to get out of the classroom. So I started building up my resume. I started doing different, uh, like teacher talks and I started doing more professional development. And I tried to like make myself be the, the, the beacon for, you know, knowledge. So I went specifically to a coding thing where I, I learned about code.org, which is by the way, a great website. If you are, mm. if you or anybody, you know, older or younger is interested in learning basics of coding, I highly recommend code.org. I learned a lot, that's for sure. And then I was able to teach my students and they really started to love it. And, you know, and then I taught teachers about what I learned at this Saturday workshop that I went to. Right. So then I started doing uh, seminars and things at professional development uh, opportunities and just m- building my resume and making me more than just a classroom teacher because my resume looked like everybody else's that's in the pile. Yeah. You know, we're all, we all have the same degree. We all have about the same experience. We all want to make the world better. <laughs> you know, it's the basics. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Very true. Okay. So I started doing that. And then I started interviewing for different types of positions. And one company actually put me through seven rounds of interviews and then denied me. Really? Oh my God. And they went with a local candidate and it was literally a four hour drive. Uh, like I could have just moved. Right. Yeah. It, and then it was like, that was the point where I was like, fuck, <laughs> like this, I now I'm now I've done all this extra work and I thought it was paying off and now I'm back to square one and I don't have another company that's like that one that I can just go to. Right. Yeah. So I just kind of got started thinking like, I'm not, it was, it was like April, I think April or yeah, it was April when I got approached for, for the adult industry. And I was like, well, it's almost the end of the school year. Yeah. And I'm looking for other things. I had been part of fetlife.com, F-E-T-life.com, which is like a fetish area, a place online where people and kinksters can get together and share common interests. And it's very like community based. Like the the point is to meet in person and to like do in-person events and go together and have, you know, lunches and do coffee dates and stuff like that. Very like Facebook style, but kinksters only. So, you know, you're getting together with a group of people who already have a baseline of, you know, we're all fetishists. <laughs> well, how did you, so what was your interest in, in joining FetLite initially? Did you have sort of this fetish history that, that. Not or- really. I, I really just kind of got started getting interested. I ended a, a long-term relationship and I got started getting interested in like alternative things. And mm-hmm. I started looking on the internet and I found this site and I joined and, you know, started building a little bit of a community and a profile and just kind of saying I'm new, but I think this is what I like. And here are some different things that, you know, I'm interested in. And then I started going to events and like putting myself out there. And I met I actually in Orlando, I met a great group of people from the woodshed and they, it was like there, there were classes and ways to teach you how to be safe 
Hmm. with, you know, all the different things that you're learning. And and we talked a lot about consent and it was actually really sex positive. And it was just like this great little community that I was so fortunate to be part of because, you know, of course they had their drama, every community does, but it was just so neat to be in this space where people were like, doing all these crazy things, things that I thought were like, wow, I, I want to do that one day or I want to try that one day. And then it was like to, to be able to have people who could, with experience, do that and teach you, it was like so rewarding for me. Yeah. So I really loved that aspect. And so through this profile that I had on FetLife is how I got contacted because I did some, I started doing some modeling, some nude modeling and just like from photographers that are in the kink community, you know, just like mm-hmm. some content style, style stuff before I ever knew what my life would be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, um, I put some of those pictures up on FetLife cause you know, like you're as, as you change and as you get interested in different things, you know, exhibitionism can became one thing that I was really interested in. So putting up those pictures was like a big thing for me. And I really liked the feedback I was getting. And then I started getting approached from companies and, um, yeah, it was, I, I got this email on FetLife and they were like, we're really interested in, you know, getting you started in the adult world. And I was like, uh, <laughs> okay, so I started, so I asked all the right questions and I got all the information and I went online and I researched all of it. Yeah. I had gone to Exotica before, uh, which is like a, a love and sex convention that's in four different cities throughout the year. Yeah. And I went to the one in Chicago, like as a civilian. And I remember seeing this this particular agency that had contacted me exhibiting there, you know, like big, sh- I was like, this is a real thing. You know, it's not like somebody just made up this name and is now trying to scam people into doing this. Sure. So, you know, I felt like I had done my research. I called the person, we talked on the phone, like I did all the right things. And I only did that because I knew the world a little bit. I was 26. I'd heard about people getting scammed and having problems and, you know, and so then the way to combat that is to be very transparent, open and honest about everything. And that, and me getting, getting in touch with somebody live on the phone and, you know, asking all my questions and, and asking again, if I didn't get the answers that I was, you know, like, you know, just making sure that I was doing my due diligence. Smart. Yeah. Because, you know, from the outside and, to give you some more history on me, when I started uh, my career uh, as a photographer, I actually did a lot of work for Suicide Girls back in the day. So I kind mm-hmm. of understand that world and that sense of community and understand how that stuff is. But I think from the outside, uh, a lot of folks look at the porn industry because a lot of the stigma that comes with the porn industry, and a lot of that stigma is valid from the prior years of creepiness and like abuse and everything else that's happened within that business. Um, they sort of look at uh, porn companies as just sort of recruiting these these girls that are lost and they're looking for some you know purpose in life and they have like some uh, deep rooted like sexual uh, like uh, I mean, sure. yeah exactly yeah. and so I, I think that is like a big uh, thing that comes to mind for a lot of folks to think about this. Do you, did it feel that it's fascinating that you joined this kink group? Did you join the kink group initially because it was like a sexual attraction to you, or was it just a fascination with you that led you down into this community? I think I've always had a little bit of like a want to be tied up and fucked kind of fantasy, right. and I don't think that that's that it's very abnormal for for that to be a thing, you know. But I never knew how to do that. I never understood like how do we get to the tied up and fucked. Yeah. portion of the evening. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Right, of course, cuz because it seems like it, it's such a strange kink from the outside if you're very much like a like a middle of the middle of America kind of person and you're looking at right. this stuff. Right. You're, you're like 
well, is that's like a violence thing? And why would you want to put yourself through some violence? And why would <laughs> you want to be restrained? Yeah. And it's not, you know, it's, I didn't ever really think of it that way, but I definitely can see how people would misconstrue it. And, you know, once I started kind of doing a little bit of Googling, it it didn't take me long to find a community where I could learn about it. And, you know, I've always been somebody who's been curious and I'm always like kind of been the outlier of my friend group. And so when I started doing and going to these events and just demystifying it, that's really what it's all about is when you understand something, I mean, knowledge is power. So it, it once I saw it and I learned about the consent piece and how kinksters are very safe and sane and consensual, and it just all really worked for me. And I was like, this is a safe place to figure out what I like. Sure. And then you know, sure. once you feel safe in a community, then that's, you know, then, then you start to explore a little bit and do something that's a little bit more than what you thought you might want. But now you've got this different interest because somebody's opened your eyes to a different world. Yeah. Yeah, and it's great that you were able to find something that was safe to do that because it, it's yeah. such a. It's not like you walk into a bar somewhere, you know. You're just picturing like you know, like the Roadhouse Bar, and you're at the <laughs> bar with a guy and having a beer, going, you know, I'd like to be tied up, you know, yeah, <laughs> like you right. don't ask a stranger. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. and typically these events, like you don't really, I didn't typically play one-on-one there were always other people there were monitors making sure people actually were being safe and that all of those things you know led to in the future having one-on-one interactions with people in in that way but you know until you feel comfortable and safe with somebody that's not really something that happens either and um so people were very respectful people were not pushy there it was almost like the opposite of society like there's no pressure everybody Mm -hmm. just wants everybody to have a good time you know so it was really fun and and easy and every time i went i wasn't like i was playing every time but sometimes i watched and sometimes i just chatted with my friends and sometimes i I participated so Mm -hmm. having those different levels of entry is also really important so then you must have really started to get like a taste for performing at that point when you're at yes, in that I'm being right. I'm being, uh, I'm ha- basically performing in front of this dungeon of people and nope, not people aren't really watching, but sometimes they would. Yeah. And so kind of like, I wasn't shy about it and I wasn't shy about my body and I felt, you know, very accepted and welcomed and nobody, nobody ever said anything mean to me, you know, like it was very, elementary type stuff. Like, don't yeah. be mean to me and I won't be mean to you. It's pretty simple. <laughs> <laughs> Which is surprising how difficult that is for many people. I can't stand, I can't stand a line at the coffee shop and not have someone be a piece of shit. So it's know, interesting. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. Oh, can, we, can we curse on this podcast? Of course you fucking can. <laughs> I know it seems like it might be NPR, but I'm not NPR. So we're good. We're we're good. Um, so, all right. So that's fascinating. So then, yeah. so then you uh, get approached, and mm-hmm. you get approached by this company who you do all the research on, which is yep. smart. It seems like you've got a good head on your shoulders. Um, yeah. Where, without getting too incredibly personal, what's like? Did you come from a like a good family environment? Did oh, you come- yeah, perfectly okay. healthy. All right. <laughs> That's what I'm fascinated by. Because once again, it's interesting to sort of break down a lot of these preconceived barriers where it's like, all right, this this chick's in porn. She probably had like a terrible life growing up as right, a kid. Right, right, right. There's no way she could choose this. Yeah. For <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah. So, 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 I, so I got the approach in April and I was literally at one of my, in my like workshop conventions where I'm like, 
presenting and I'm in between my classes. I have like 15 minutes. I hop on FetLife and I'm like, what DMs do I have? And I see this and I'm like, wow, this just fucked me up for the next class, right? So I'm like going through the motions of the next class so I can get the fuck home and like look through all this stuff. <laughs> and so, um, so I was like, fuck it, it's April. School's over in May. I'll just yeah. do this over the summer. And if it doesn't work out, I can come back to teaching. Oh, okay. That's that smart. Thought, right? This is the initial thought. And then a couple weeks later, before school was over, um, I got it told that I, my contract wasn't being renewed next year. Ugh. And I was like, you know what? This is the fucking sign. This is it. I'm doing it. <laughs> Fuck it. I'm doing it. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> June 3rd, I shot my first scene and that was almost six years ago. Okay. All right. So uh, what was that like? I mean, I'm sure that you, after spending enough time doing the kink stuff and sort of being in that environment, mm -hmm. it mustn't have been as, you know, as scary. Or was it scary for you? What was the first scene like for you? So my first scene was actually not a typical first scene. My first scene was with Club Dom and it was a BDSM scene where I was beating male slaves and doing <laughs> pegging. And it was like really the most extreme thing. Wow. And but I was very comfortable with that because I remember I just come from this kink world where I had seen all of that well, and I participated in all of that. And I was, I knew how to do it correctly and safely. And you know, the, the people who, the, the men who were volunteering were volunteering, they were into this, this was their lifestyle. So it's not like I'm doing this to somebody who doesn't like it. Well, hold on. What, what's, what's piping? Uh, explain to me what that is. Um, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry. I don't remember. I didn't say piping. Oh, I thought you did. I thought you did in that whipping, segment. Whipping. What is it? Whipping, whipping slaves and like beating. And, okay. And okay. Peeing. Cause I, I thought you said piping in there and I was like, what is that? I just heard the word pegging. <laughs> oh, I thought you said piping. I'm like, what is no. this like, like a plumber situation? <laughs> I mean, I guess kind of. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Didn't mean to jump in there, but I was just like, what? <laughs> no, pecking is probably the word that was okay. kind of piping. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So sorry to, sorry to interrupt. <laughs> so it was just very atypical, but it was fun. And, you know, the director was great and they, he made me look fantastic in this scene and, you know, just it was really cool to be doing something comfortable the first scene instead of like jumping right into sex. Right. So mm -hmm. I, I had this first experience on set and I kind of learned a lot about how to open up and how to make sure the camera can see what the penetration is. And so all those things were great. And then I shot my first hardcore scene and I was so nervous because I shot it with like one of the bigger dicks in porn at the time. Wow. And everybody was like always talking about how big his dick was and all this. And I'm like, Oh my God, I don't, I don't know what a big dick is. I'm just a girl who's had like 17 partners. Like, I don't know how big dicks are, you know, like I'm not measuring dicks in the bedroom Yeah, so right. really because everybody's like, it's so big, it's so big, it's so big. And then I was, I, and then I like got to set and you know, they do your hair and makeup and you feel fantastic and you look beautiful and they dress you up and I get to set and like the guy's really great and he's really welcoming. And I'm like, this is my first scene. He's like, it's going to be great. We're going to have fun. And so I was like, like really like put at ease yep. and it was great. <laughs> it was, it was easy. And I kind of felt like it was over before I knew what had happened because 
it just, the move, it moves so fast and you just don't really like, like take it all in until after the fact. Sure. And, um, it was, it was a great scene. It was for reality Kings. And I think to this day, my fans still like, Oh, I loved you in that scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy to me. Cause I'm like, that was baby performer me. Like I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know. And then I got the worst bruises from that set. Cause we were fucking on a table. Oh my God. It was called Big Tits Boss, and I'm in this red dress, and I'm fucking on a, on the table on my hip, and like I'm like rocking back and forth side to side. So like, of course, I'm gonna have a bruise. Sure. And then like the floors were concrete, and nobody had taught me to not go on my knees for the blowjob, but to squat for the blowjob so that you don't have your knees bruised up. <laughs> <laughs> it's nobody fun. taught me anything, right? I learned it all the hard way. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny how there are all these like insider tricks and tips on how to do this. Right, stuff. I could write a whole memoir just of like the the tricks on how to give blowjobs. <laughs> well, so the camera. So for the first scene, because all right, so then obviously people weren't teaching you how to do things. So what did you do, like? How did you get into that scene itself? Because I'm sure that the film sets aren't the way that they used to be back in the '70s, where there's like. Right a bunch of gaffers and grips and they're all sort of standing around. It's probably just like a guy and a camera and assistant at this point. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a, it depends on the production, but typically it's uh, one camera guy, maybe a sound guy yeah. and you know, maybe one other person on set. So uh, it's pretty small, yeah. but you know, guys, the male talent is so amazing in this industry. They just know what to do. And they've been, do you know, most of them have been doing it for a while. So they're used to new girls and they're used to like having to flip you around all over the place. Cause you don't know how to open up. <laughs> <laughs> part's great because I didn't feel like I had to know anything to be successful. I just had to do better the next time. So, you know, everything I learned from that first scene, next time I worked with that guy was a lot different, sure. you know, and, and it, it gets better every time. And then watching my scenes back and all that kind of stuff is really important to be able to see, oh, does that angle look good? Is that flattering? Is this something I want to do again? Does this camera work look cool? So that was, it was, it was really fun to like, kind of jump in. And then I, and then a couple of weeks later it hit me. I was like, I can't go back to teaching. <laughs> no way. Yeah, I can course, go back to of teaching. Course. Of course not. Of course not. <laughs> and well, then the panic sets in, right? Because you're like, Oh my gosh, I have this degree that I can no longer use. And what am I going to do if this doesn't work out? And how do I make this work? If people don't like me, you know, like it's like this spiral and it's like, you start spiraling and it's like, Holy fuck, this is a big decision. And I, I feel like I knew it, but I didn't really like give it the amount of weight that I think it deserved. Because I I'm so like, so focused on, I did this process the right way. This must be the right Right, thing. Right, right, right. Well, and then you already jumped, so like you yeah, can't. At that point, it was too late. <laughs> but like, this is kind of how everything has happened in my life. Like, I went, I jumped around from different careers before I settled on teaching, and yeah. then I was like, "Fuck this, I want to do something else." And then I was like, "Fuck this, I want to do something else." You know, so I always kind of kept. I, I get bored really easily, so everything has to constantly be changing, right. and that is why porn is great for me because it is constantly changing. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Well, I'm still fascinated by your first scene. And from a performance standpoint, how did you, do you remember if you were present in that scene or was it more like, I just picture the way you described it. Like you're just oh, wide eyed and, and there's a guy flipping you around on a table yeah, like a fish. That's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to like stay in character, right? Which I don't know how to do because I've never acted a day in my life. And I say <laughs> acted very loosely. <laughs> so I'm trying to just like say things that a boss would say 
But of course, like I'm supposed to be the boss, right? But he's the one in charge of the sex because I have no fucking clue what I'm doing. Like I'm not <laughs> pushing him down on the table and fucking him and riding him. You know, like I don't know how to do all that kind of stuff yet. Sure, sure. So, back on that scene with with like Bambi eyes because it's like, oh, she's so new. She doesn't even know how to open her pussy to the camera. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's it's okay. So it's fascinating because I've had, like I said, I've had a male porn star on the show, mm-hmm. which is interesting because. There hits a certain level with uh, being a male performer where you have to be, to some extent, unless you're on medication, you have to be turned on for the gear yeah. and the equipment to work. 100%. You know, and it, it's not this—it's not necessarily the same thing for the female performer, correct? Right, right. And for me, like the exhilaration of like what I was doing and somebody I'd never had sex with before, but you know, we're all tested. Everybody knows everybody's testing status. So like it's safe. I know this guy's into me for this scene at least. So like, we're at least going to fake this until the scene's over if there's no actual chemistry. And you know, like it felt like, Oh my gosh, this is, you know, in a vacuum, it's sex in a vacuum. (laughs) You basically just get to have the fun. Like there's no, no pre-work, no making sure he's not a creeper at the bar. There's none of that. There's no vetting. Nothing. Right. No. So it is my perfect scenario. I don't have to do any work and I know this guy's not going to take advantage of me. (laughs) Right. 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 You're cutting out all the hard work to having sex, which is fascinating. Different spin, huh? (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a fascinating way to look at it. Um, and the, the testing thing, that's a whole other conversation. I had that conversation on that last episode with, yeah. with uh, how safe that industry attempts to be. And, yeah. and do you still feel safe with the, the, the testing protocol? Do you, how often do you have to get tested? So we test every two weeks. It's a 14-day STD, STI panel. Yep. And then currently we're doing uh, t- between 24 and 48 and 72-hour COVID. Wow. 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 We are are the most tested industry there is. And people still think that we're the ones spreading disease. I'm like, no, you guys all out there without knowing your status, (laughs) you're the ones spreading chlamydia, not us. (laughs) You're literally, you're literally, (laughs) you're literally being poked and prodded at every different angle at this point, all the way through, man. Um, So how often do you work? How many scenes a week do you do? It depends. Uh, for me, because I'm a MILF in the MILF category, which means I'm 30 plus, have fake boobs and nice big womanly curves. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I'm like the person everybody wants to fuck. Um, I work anywhere between five and 20 scenes a month, depending on my month, depending on what else I'm doing. Um, today is actually day one of a two week break that I'm giving myself because nice. I've been working really fucking hard. <laughs> <laughs> And I take the scenes as they come because, you know, sometimes they're shooting a MILF movie and sometimes they're shooting a teen movie. And if they're shooting the MILF movie during the time that I decided to take a week off, I'm going to take the scene, you know? So it's, it just depends. It's very gig oriented and it's, you know, there's only so many MILF scenes a month and that's really my only category. That's just what I do. It's what I get hired for. It's what I'm known for. Um, And I love that. I love being that like, centralized into one group because then I can just hit it hard and I know exactly what is expected out of me in being a MILF. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, and I can always grow into being more of a MILF, you know, in the future I will still be a MILF and um, the brand only grows from there. That's right. It's not like you're going to grow out of being a MILF. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, eventually I'll end up probably being a GILF if I continue performing, but (laughs) that's true. And it's like, it's one of the biggest categories right now, you know, I mean, It's huge. And no matter, I mean, so it's such a fast, because 
I'm 43, right? So when I was a kid, and I sound like such an old guy, I feel like we're sitting on the porch right now. We're having a discussion. Swinging at our rocking chairs. Yeah. Well, when I was a youngin, um, you know, I think, you know, I remember downloading my first image of porn on, on, on the computer and it was like 40 minutes of just seeing these pixels show up on screen. And it was like, oh my God. But prior to that, it was this very sort of quiet, you had to have like an older brother or a friend that had an older brother that had porno magazines. It's not like you can go into the store and buy them yourself. Yes. And so it was like this hard hunt. And I can't imagine what it's like growing up as a kid these days with the access to porn and every, everybody watches it. It's almost, it's almost like doing yoga for folks where it's just like certain time of the day you log in, you do your thing. Yeah. It's, you know, and I think the pandemic has exacerbated that a little bit in people. And I think there's been a little bit of a shift of like, because, you know, like you were saying back when you couldn't see it on the internet and so readily available, or you had to rent it in, in a blockbuster. Remember yeah. those? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Um, and you had to be 18 to do it. Like there was no way around, around it. You couldn't. You know, and magazines, and I find that it's funny that you say magazines because I still have a, a, a variety of fans in about your age range who love the pictures. Uh-huh. The pictures are what turns them on. They don't need the video because they're old school like that. And it's like, this is what used to do it for me. And this was the sexual awakening that I had was looking at magazines and photos. That's why the photos are such a big thing on my fan sites huh. that people want to buy is like, I just want a photo set. So I do a custom photo set for them. And, you know, it's like, that's, that's the erotic piece for them. It's not so much the insertion or the physical, like actually seeing it live, so to speak. But so yeah, yeah it, it, it's so crazy right now that I totally think we should have all nudity behind paywalls and it should not be accessible to anybody who's not paying for it or sure. under 18 or whatever it might be. But growing up in this time where everything is so sexualized and, you know, like, and think about TikTok and what it's promoting and Instagram and what it's promoting and, oh you know, God. all these different places, like you, I, <laughs> it I- must be really hard to censor people's um, devices. If you are somebody under 18 who has somebody censoring your device. Oh my God. I imagine. Well, I mean, we're all, it, it's a, it, the way that the delivery systems work these days and IE the phone or whatever. Yeah. I mean, we're all addicted to dopamine at this point. That's straight up what it is. And whether or not you're getting off looking at tits online, or if you're getting yeah. off looking at cute puppies online, it's all the it same sort of dopamine reaction and hit to it. And the use of sex to sell stuff at this point is so out of control like as a guy or even as a woman you're walking around and looking at at like an advertisement for whatever the fuck it is mm-hmm. and it's like why is this turning me on oh it's it's still sexually driven it's it's yeah. the amount of times that that is being um i don't want to say abused but just being preyed upon daily is is insane to me it's almost exhausting to a specific yeah. point you know what i mean everything in the world is about sex except for sex which is about power yeah and it is the thing that drives us it is the thing that makes us human it's the thing that makes us want to have sex is to make more of us it is in like it's in us we can't control that yeah. so to think that and you know this dates back to when religions were used to control people mm-hmm Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, that's what it is like you, you saying that sex is bad because you have some boys masturbating like that is insane yeah to me and to think that like that's the, the sex non-education that happens in 
schools and any anywhere that sex is talked about. I mean, you know, it's just, it's crazy. Like there need to be conversations. There need to be actual sex topics discussed, not just abstinence only education. All right, it's time to take a break. I want to uh, teach and educate you guys on uh, the sponsors of the show. More importantly, I want to tell you guys about the gear and equipment that I use because I get these questions all the time. What kind of lights do you have in your kit mic? What are you using to edit things on? How are you recording the show right now? Like, what are you doing? I love this. You guys uh, find uh, enough, you trust me enough to uh, give you uh, access to give you sponsors that I use that I think will train and teach you to do your work a little bit differently, that will be tools that you can use um, to really bring your stories to life. Uh, First up, my friends over at Puget Systems, if you are a content creator, if you're a video editor, if you're a music creator, if you're uh, someone that is running a webcam setup for your own and you need to have uh, a desktop that is more powerful, If you're cutting your own content, if you're putting together your own pieces, um, sure, you can go on to some of the more expensive websites and pay for an unboxing experience and have them tell you, out of these options, this is what you have available to you. I hated that. I hated the fact that those larger companies would start to release software updates that would render your hardware useless. And so before you could pay off that lofty fucking bill, you were already throwing out that old system and replacing it with another, continuously in debt on whatever credit card that they offered you to do that shit. I was done with it. I went back to building and buying PCs. Now, I know many of you are listening going, PCs, PCs crash. Get over it. They don't. I actually had more crashes on my Macs than I ever have on one of my Puget systems, believe it or not. Um, And the thing that I love about PCs is that you can custom build them. You can actually put your hands under the hood and change out the hardware to have it be specific to the software you're using. And not all software runs the same way on the hardware. It's just that case. You could build yourself a general system that will get you through it. But if you're a real nerd about shit like I am, anytime I do a big video project, I know I'm gonna break the rules on it. I know I'm gonna do too many things in my timelines. My sequences are gonna have some files that I've never used before and uh, resolutions that are way too big, I know I'm always breaking the rules. And so I want a robust tool built specifically for my needs. Now, also, many of you listening to this show work in the post-production world. Some of you have post-production companies. Some of you may want to build edit suites and post-production companies on your own. Um, And maybe some of you know how to build a PC. This is what I ran into when I was running a post-production house. I didn't want to be tech support. I didn't want to be the one building all these things. I didn't want to be on a shoot somewhere with one of my editors desperately calling and asking why the fuck it won't start up and why this, why I'm having an error on the screen. I didn't want to do that. That's not my job role. So I found Puget Systems. Puget Systems uh, puts together amazing PCs based upon the software you use. These guys spend hours and hours benchmark testing all the hardware out there running solid tests with all the software, seeing what graphics cards work best, 
uh, what motherboards, motherboards work best. The new piece that comes out on the market, is it worth the price? Does it make a change? These guys know all of it. They're a great resource. If you're building your own PCs, they are an amazing resource. If you have a company that has multiple computers that all need to communicate together, that need to run high resolution footage, maybe you're creating worlds in Unreal on the Unreal Engine. These guys know how to do it all. Head on over to PugetSystems.com. Hold on, I'm going to cough. <coughs> Jesus, I got to try. Head on over to PugetSystems.com. Check them out. Uh, sign up. Uh, for one of their consultation programs and they want to hear about your life. They want to hear about the work you're building. They want to hear about your problems. And if they can't solve it, if they feel like there's a better option out there, they'll tell you. I'm telling you, they're a fucking great company. Head on over to PugetSystems.com. Follow them on Instagram. At Puget Systems on Instagram. I gotta take a sip of water. The air is so dry out here. Oh my God. Um, yeah, Puget Systems. They're the shit. Uh, also supporting the show, if you are into lighting, our friends over at ETC, ETC Connect. Um, one of the coolest parts about lighting for me is the fact that everything is now LED. Most of the stuff is LED. If that means lower power consumption. That means less heat coming off the lights themselves. That means more uh, options within the interface and you can dial in specific colors. It is the shit. Lighting has been such an amazing, the advancements in it have been so amazing over the past few years and the work shows. And if you're in uh, the market right now for an interesting new light, I use ETC Connect. I've used them for years with their iconic Source 4 profiles, which are spotlights that can be barn doored, can be shaped. So you can do a very specific spot or a backlight. They come from the concert world. These guys have been providing for rock shows for years. They have amazing light control boards, amazing stuff, but now they're building stuff for cameras. They understand that there's a market for this stuff. Um, and I love that because doing music videos for years, you started making that transition from the live shows to the music video stuff, which is super cool. Let me read you one of their uh, <clears throat> reads here on wireless technology. Studio lighting has advanced more than just color quality and brightness. In an increasingly mobile world, it has been fascinating to see how the manufacturers are bringing wireless technology into the fold. ETC has done just that with their FOS slash 4 studio fixture and line with NFC and City Theatricals Multiverse Technology. Wow, it's like, is that like Spider-Man Multiverse kind of shit? Like there's like uh, different versions of another? <laughs> Stupid joke, dickhead. Uh, and <laughs> NFC makes it possible to send and receive fixture information from the convenience of your phone or tablet. Okay, let me translate this. You can control all of the stuff that the light has on your phone, which is definitely a game changer for quick setup. And with the Multiverse Wireless DMX, you can control these fixtures from a console without the need to physically connect them. That's huge. DMX has always been out there. That's how you're connecting your lights to a control board to activate the faders, to turn them on and off. And one of the big things that you would have to do all the time is not only run power to these lights, but also run what looked like an XLR DMX cable. It was a fucking nightmare because you're constantly unrolling cable, wrapping cable, running cable. If you've ever done live events, you know it's a nightmare. Uh, with the ability to broadcast 10 universes of DMX from a single transmitter, meaning that it transmits all that, that information wirelessly, multiverse technology can help 
scale up wireless lighting systems on set. These features are connected across the FOS4 panel. I'm sorry, the FOS4 panel, Fresnel, and the new Source 4 LED Series 3. You can check out all this stuff, everything that the fixtures have to offer, by visiting etcconnect.com backslash love the process. Love those guys. Great lights. Um, all right. Also supporting the show are our friends over at Jambox, your content creator. If you're listening to the show, you either create content for Instagram, you create movies, you create music videos, you create commercials. Most people, over 80% of the people that listen to the show create content. I'm telling you right now, one of the nightmares that we all have, and I know you're shaking your head yes, is finding music that is licensed for our work for a decent price. Because most of the time our clients never give us the budgets we need to do that. You don't have the money to be able to approach a musician yourself. You always feel ashamed when you go to these folks and you go, I've got like 200 bucks. It's a fucking, that's a, that's, you shouldn't be ashamed. You only have $200. And so you uh, spend all this time shooting beautiful footage and then you get into the edit room and you have to slap really shitty music under it. And most of the time the clients are like, go to this royalty-free website and you roll your eyes because you know you're just going to get all of the seasides of that artist's work. Those tracks that they can't really sell anywhere else, they're semi-embarrassed about them, they're going to change their name and put them in a bin somewhere and you have to like mindlessly sort through this lifeless list of music that is going to ruin your content straight up. What I love about Jambox is that their music is amazing and I've been playing it on this show. Sometimes you'll hear tracks that you think are artists that I found elsewhere that I directly contacted that are actually Jambox artists. And what Jambox does, which I really love, is that they pay their artists to do work for them. They actually collaborate with them. They, they listen to the artists that they work with. They know their strengths and they help them design tracks or albums that they specifically put in their catalog exclusively. I'm telling you, it blew my mind when we did this project where I needed to find opera music and the level of quality that I got from this opera music that I assume if I had got through, through some other library, like library fucking like ridiculous, uh, what's the name of the, like the big licensing websites? I can't even remember, but those big prestigious sites, whereas if you got to get some classical music, you got to get some uh, opera stuff, it's a fucking fortune. I got amazing opera music from Jambox, all included in their commercial plan because it was for a commercial item. So let me go to their website right now. Hold on. See, I got so much going on. I should have all this stuff typed up. You fucking dumbass. Uh, let me look at the pricing. So you can get access to all their music. Their genres are great. They have a great synthwave section, great hip hop section, great indie rock section. Uh, really great trailer music and promotional clips. And you can get some of these tracks with the stems, meaning that you can dissect these songs down to the drum beats, the bassline beats, so you can re-edit them to work for your footage. So fucking important. So fucking awesome. I'm telling you. I'm excited about this because I know if you sign up for one of these free trials or use one of these plans, I know the quality of your show, the quality of your work is going to skyrocket. People are going to think that it costs more money to make your stuff if you are picking stuff like this. I'm telling you. Head on over to Jambox right now. 
If you're an unlimited creator, if you're a creator creating, uh, creator creating, create, if if you're making YouTube content, podcasts, if you're a student, if you want full access to their music, $9.99 a month, 30-day free trial, okay? If you're creating commercial stuff, it is $19.99 a month, seven-day free trial, but that comes with sound effects, stems, really great shit, and if you're a student, you get the same thing for six bucks a month, and that will uh, go towards student projects, film festivals, web, and you could also just buy songs, single song licensing, and some of it's not that bad. If you just wanted to do a single song, personal YouTube, starting at $19.99 for, for, per song for weddings, weddings, I know a lot of you wedding photographers out there, $29.99 per song, branded advertising, $129 per song. So that fits in that stupid budget that your producer gave you. You know what I'm saying? Head on over to jambox.io. Listen to what I'm raving about. I'm telling you, it is going to change your work. Follow them on Instagram at jambox.io and tell them that Mike sent you. Okay? Thanks, guys. Um, let's see. Who else? Got that, got that, got that, got ETC. Oh, Vidafair. We're talking about content creation. We're talking about pay sites. We're talking about all this stuff. Well, if you're a content creator uh, and you're creating short films, if you're creating podcasts and you're realizing that you really need to start making some money, you have a fan base that wants to pay for things. People asking, how can I support the show? How can I support your work? Uh, You should put your stuff up and charge for it. And now the question is, where do I put it? Do I go to one of these websites that charges me extra uh, based upon the price that I set? Are they going to charge me extra based upon the clicks that I get? I don't want to do all that stuff because how do I know I'm going to make the money? What I like about Vitafair, it's a one-time charge. You put it up. It's under six bucks to post any of your stuff, which is great. Then you can choose the prices for your work anywhere from nothing to 20 bucks a month. And it doesn't raise Vitafair's cut really cool, right? They have so many great options, so many great things. Head on over to vitafair.com and check them out. That's it. Let's get back to the show. I mean, I remember sex ed when I was a kid. And I remember how useless it was. It was just fucking yeah. useless. Like, this isn't going to help me have sex. <laughs> yeah, it was fucking useless. And it was usually taught to you by some old awkward dude, you know, yep. and like he'd pass around like a, a fake ball sack and you'd be like checking for cancer in a fake ball sack. <laughs> yeah, we had very different sex ed experiences. <laughs> <laughs> and then on, a, on occasion, they would show you graphs and charts of like, you know, the inside of like a woman's vagina and the inside of right. a dude's. Pe- it's like. Which is terrifying. Right. And you're like, I never see that. You mean if I take her clothes off, that's what I'm going to fucking see? That's that's awful. Um, And then you look at what the often terrible results of of holding back on sex education and holding back and making sex into such a, a shameful and taboo thing and how that has really sort of fucked people up intensely. It's so damaging. It's far more damaging than having sex and living with repercussions from it. If you had just talked about it, it's so people are just so 
unable to separate sex from anything else. And it's so obvious. I mean, look at our media right now. Yeah. It's all about sex. Oh my God. It's <laughs> for rights And, you know, all that kind of stuff is all about sex. Why are we not talking about it more? Why are we not taking away the shame of the thing that we all want to do and that we are hardwired to do? And that's really the part that really gets under my skin. It's like, you want to control the thing that is something that none of us can control within ourselves. Well, you you hit the nail on the head when you said it's a power dynamic. It really is. It's a power dynamic all the way around. Like even when it comes to, I know this is a dangerous statement, especially today. I got to watch myself. But even when it comes to ladies, you know, the idea of the power that you get from the power of suggestion, the power of just showing just enough of it, and you start to look at the influence of the fucking Kardashians and like, Jesus yeah. Christ, how they've really fucked up an entire generation of, yeah. of young girls and how they see themselves and how, you know, how they see their bodies and, and the influence and the money of uh, plastic surgery and plastic yeah. surgeons and body changing. And then down to these fucking phone apps where, oh my uh, gosh, yeah. the Snapchat filters. Oh my God. And, and, and yeah, just, just seeing, I don't know if you've seen them, but uh, I think there was uh, videos, I think there were Korean women that were doing it where they had figured out how the phone sees specific shapes and colors. And so they were just drawing lines and makeup on their faces to have the filter show them in the best way possible. It's fucking wild. Wow. It's so wild. The, ex wild. the extent that we go, because I guess ultimately it's because sex is still such a powerful, uh, such a powerful thing that happens naturally, like the reaction to sex, the reaction that people have to that physical attraction is so fucking powerful that of course, you know, these people are going to make as much money on it as possible. Of course. Yeah. Always, anytime something has value, you know, it's monetized and sex has a lot of value to everyone. Yeah. It's fascinating. And you yeah. know, it's I kind of find it crazy to think that like, I also have female fans and that they get like I want to um, I put this out on Twitter a couple weeks ago I was like female fans tell me what kind of content you want I, like I feel like I'm failing you because all I do is just get fucked on my <laughs> on my videos and like I don't I don't know what you guys like to see like do you just like to see me get fucked I'm very confused <laughs> I'm fascinated by that in general because I, I was talking to somebody I can't remember specifically I'm not going to mention names anyways but I was talking to somebody about this who was saying that she was physically attracted to women visually, but not physically attracted to women in person. And I asked, I was like, I wonder if that's got something to do with marketing. And uh, I wonder if that's got something to do with years of embedded marketing and how the we're sold stuff like women with big tits are selling us things, women uh, holding themselves a very specific way, women, you know, there are entire fucking tutorials which drive me nuts on fucking Instagram on like how you're supposed to pose and yeah. women teaching women how to pose to look the best, look their best. And you're just like, it's not, it's all a fucking lie. You guys are yeah. all in the same sort of brainwashing marketing world that I'm in as a marketer when I do commercials and stuff. And, and you have to go through the process of, uh, of making girls look good. I, I still laugh at one of the stories I did with a model years ago where I had PAs bringing in a bowls of ice to make her nipples hard <laughs> the whole process. <laughs> and, you, and you're just like, there's nothing fucking real about any of this shit. Yeah, I know. And I think that's where 
porn has started to kind of like branch off in our, in the fact that we have these fan sites and yeah. it really does give you a closer look. It does show you a little bit more of the real, you get a little bit more of the everyday interaction. So it's like, Oh, this person is a real person. And the way that I act on my videos and the way that I act at conventions is the way that I am. N- that's not true for all performers, but for me, I think my fans really realize that like I am this person and I'm not putting on this whole extra personality because first of all, I don't have time for that. Like the whole extra personality to keep up with. No. Yeah. I, <laughs> so it, I think that, that we're, you know, the, the human connection piece is starting to come back into the interactions that people can have with us because we have these fan sites available. Yeah. Well, cause you, at this point it's like, it's like our business, you know, there's a fucking sea of content. It's just this ocean of floating content out there. And you're trying to, you know, find something that you connect with as a viewer and as a performer, I'm sure you're just trying to find your voice. You're trying to find uh, a beacon. You're trying to find, be able to set up a lighthouse in this fucking ocean of shit. Yeah. And that's what MILF did for me. Like, that's what me being a MILF means to me is I get to, it's like, okay, aha, now we can focus, right? I have the the scope of what I'm doing. Now I can give you mommy MILF and I can give you, you know, all these different role play MILFs and um, I can be a hot wife and you can cheat on your wife with me and all, you know, like all these different scenarios that encompass the MILF umbrella. Like I feel like I can cater to so many different fantasies and so many different types of fans. Why do you think that genre, like the MILF genre, why do you think that is so hot right now? Um, it's been hot for a long time, and I honestly think that – here's my conspiracy theory, if you will. <laughs> sure. I'm into, I'm into it. I'm into it. Um, I think that because the viewers who are driving the traffic are you know, probably in mid-40s, you know, like they're in the middle age period. So you're talking about me is what you're doing right now. I get I'm it. just saying. Yeah, yeah. The people who are paying for porn and who are driving these numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I think that there's a lot of, I think there were a lot of divorces that happened and a lot of broken homes Mm -hmm. and the dad gets remarried or has a girlfriend. And of course, naturally the son who is not of legal age probably is very attracted to this person because it's not his mom. It's a woman that's in the house all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's somebody like I think they get sexualized very easily because they're not related. So it's not wrong because all they've heard their whole life is that it's wrong to, to like romantically or sexually want a parent, a sibling of whatever fill in the blank. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that because there were so many divorces and so many, so few therapy around, so around divorce, Mm -hmm. because that's something that happens more now for for kids and parents who deal with that than did back then. Of course. I think that is one of the big reasons why this fetish has become a thing because now I can watch somebody do the thing that I fantasized about and because they're doing it, it's not wrong for me because I'm not doing it. Right. Right. That's my theory. Now, I don't know. I could be pulling it all out of my ass and that's typically how theories go, but. Well, I, I I get it. I see I see your your point on it. It's not a bad theory at all. I, I'm I'm interested. I'm trying to remember. I had a theory around it, which I think is just. I think it's about the excitement of. There's something so pure about the excitement of of somebody wanting you, and and something dangerous about that. And it gets into like, um. You know, it it's probably a little bit of that danger. And I think if you were going to do something like that in real life, that danger would start to trigger 
you know, yeah. the warning signs. And it's like, well, this isn't fucking hot and this isn't right. And this isn't what yeah, I want to do. Like, we're not, we're not into this. <laughs> but, and for a lot of people that make bad decisions, you get lost in that initial like appeal, that initial danger and that, that, that kink that comes with danger, I think. Exactly. And, and I think you can live that in these pieces uh, without any shame, I think, at yeah. the back end of it, which is interesting. It's, it's, but don't tell anybody because they're going to fucking shame you, yeah, right? Yeah, of course. It's so fucked up. Like the way that we, the way that we treat each other and how much the generations have been like continuing this shame game of sex. And it's like, why, why doesn't, why isn't there anybody who's just like, no, cool. You guys want to fuck, do it. Like, yeah. How did we get away from the Roman baths? Uh, I mean, it's deep rooted, man. You know, yeah. you're talking about like the Catholic church. You're talking about like uh, like multiple other religions that uh, really sort of use sex and and use breeding as a, as a control method. It's been that way, so it makes sense. But we're also living in a time period now where we spend so much time and research and science into like tweaking our taste buds and tweaking like different flavors and and mm -hmm. and like the, yeah. the science of mixing sweet and salty and all this other stuff. Yeah, why not mix your porn up? I I, I think we are. I just yeah. think it's just not being. I guess it's kind of being discussed a little bit when you start talking about the younger generation and, and then the fluidity that the younger generation is now having with their sexuality yeah. and everything else. And I wonder yeah. how much of a factor porn has in, in, in some of that too and, and, and the curiosities that come with that. I um, think, you know, people who may have always been gender fluid and didn't know, didn't have a word for it, didn't have a, a structure for it, didn't know how to have sex with anybody because who do I have sex with? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that porn has helped that because you see all types of people having all types of sex. And yeah. it's not, you know, there are definitely pe people who are into the degradation and the shame of it. And there's a market for that. But there's also definitely a market of, you know, we're very consensually, happily doing this. And this is like a good example for somebody who's in their developmental. And I hate to say that because <sighs> we should not be watching porn under the age of like 18 to 21, really, when our brains are developed and everything sure. is, sure. you know. But ultimately, we know that people who are underage are accessing these sites, unfortunately. So, you know, it's, I think them seeing things that are like what they are like, is very important. Just like it's important to see yourself in characters and books because, you know, you identify with that. It's a similar thing. It's just a different type of medium. Well, I think it's, you brought up like a, you slightly brought up a point here, which I think is important. And that's kind of what I want to do with this show. And that's kind of what I do with this show when it comes to the film industry, because there's all sorts of romanticized uh, belief systems that are built around what it's like to be a filmmaker, what it's like to be a director, what it's like to be an actor and the way you should live your life and the expectations that you have with that. And I think there's something interesting to be said about the porn industry. And, and you're right. Younger generation is really getting access to this way too fucking early uh, yeah. at, at a point when they haven't sort of figured out how in real life to sort of interact with individuals, uh, you know, yeah. like how to interact with, a girl or a woman. And so seeing uh, some certain aspects of porn can be very destructive. It's not the thing you should be seeing. Yeah. So it could be. That's the point where we need to turn off the computer. Yeah. It could be very destructive. And, and there's a sense that you want to sort of educate these kids and you, I, you're doing a lot of sex education stuff. You want to be able to educate these younger kids and going, this is not, what you're seeing in this thing is not fucking real. 
Like this yes. scenario is absolutely not real. Um, yes. And this isn't how I would act as a woman. This isn't how I would act as a man. And, and um, I think that's important because I, I think there's a huge disconnect at this point where, where young folks are watching this stuff going like, well, this is what a woman wants or this is how a woman yes. would react, right? Yep. And this is what I should do. And she loves this. Look at her. Like, mm. you know, and, and we'd skip over the part where me and that performer had a consent talk before we did this scene. And we said what we do and don't want to do in the scene and told each other what we like. And, what, you know, like, and like there was that, that whole piece, the communication of the sex didn't yeah. get shown. And that's really the most important part. Yeah. That's a good, and, that's and a good we point. We also don't know that we're testing every two weeks and making sure that we don't get STDs. Yeah. You see us not using condoms because we know our status and we know that we're safe. And the circle is pretty small of people that, you know, most of us are fucking. So it's like, we're so careful and we treat this with such respect. And that is something that an, a, an under 18, under 21, really year old brain cannot understand. Yeah, You know, so it, we, we skip over showing them how to do all the groundwork that's required to have normal, consensual, safe sex. Yeah. And when you say that someone under 21 can't understand, I just want to make sure that the young listeners that are listening, we're not shaming you. We're just saying that like you're, Hormones, your hormones are out of fucking control. <laughs> like you're, yeah. emotionally, you guys are trying to put your shit together, and we get it. Sure. We we all did that, but yeah, we all did that in college too. <laughs> yeah, man. Like we all like make bad decisions, do our things, and try to find our 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 center by going through those processes. It's just it's there's a lot of input that is happening into our brains a lot more than there used to be. And it's constant. And it's that part that can alter the development of what your brain could, should be doing because you're introducing things that are either more violent or more extreme. I mean, think about video games. It's the same deal. Yes. Yes. hundred percent. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. It's the same deal. And it's, it's wild to me. How, how does that, cause I know that, uh, you know, when you're talking about porn in the 70s and in the 80s and even into the 90s, you know, it still felt pretty fucking sleazy and like exploitative. Does it still feel that way? Is it still an exploitative industry to you? Uh, To me, it never has been because I've always uh, understood where I stand. Um, I was a fully self-actualized adult when I decided to do this. The industry found me, yes, but I chose it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I think there's a difference there uh, because my experience is very atypical of most porn performers. And I know that. And that's why I, you know, talk a lot about making sure that this is something you really want to do and thinking about the ramifications. But, but you know, when you think about, when you say to somebody, when you say to an 18 year old currently, this is going to be on the internet forever. They're like, yeah, duh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because they understand that concept. And, sure. and I don't know if I really, really thought through that much when, when I decided to do this, yeah. uh, I kind of like, was like, yeah, I know the internet's forever, but it was almost like, but that's only if somebody finds it. Sure. was like my caveat. Sure. And then you become successful. <laughs> right. But, God, I, but you know, with that also comes a level of fuck it. Yeah. Because you know, I, all I, all anybody ever wants is to be successful in life. Right. Like you know, it doesn't matter what career you're in or what, what you're doing. You, everybody wants to be successful. So if I've been able to achieve the thing that is like the highest prize, then yeah, I'm doing it with sex and I'm fucking proud of that. Well, a hundred percent. And so 
my perspective on 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 porn performers and porn stars is the same perspective that I have on actors and actresses. And I think that um in both industries, folks can get into that business for the wrong fucking reasons. And in both industries, and specifically in the acting industry, uh, you're exploited. And you may not ex be exploited nude. You may not be exploited by getting fucked by some random guy on a couch. Or maybe you do. And look at you know, everything that happened with, uh, you know, Harvey Weinstein and all the, all the stuff that happened over the past few years. Um, but I, I think that there's such a stigma that comes with being a porn star where you're sort of looked down upon and it's like, oh, you have to use your body and you have to do this stuff. Yeah. But it's like the fucking actors do the same goddamn fucking thing. It's the same thing. Their bodies too, for their careers. Yeah. Yeah. You I don't mean, see anybody up in arms about the coal miners getting to having to use their bodies to make their money. Of course. And, and the level of, you know, physical fitness, the level of attention that has to go into this stuff. And yeah. I mean, I work out six days a week. Jesus. I eat a clean diet. I make sure that I have my facial appointments scheduled and I make sure that like I take care of myself, that my vagina is healthy. Yeah. You know, like there are so many things that need to happen. This isn't just, oh, she's just getting fucked on set. Like that is, it is so, so much more than that. I just imagine it being a pretty intense ritual. <laughs> it is. But, you know, I like that. You know, I'm a girly girl. I love pampering myself and being able to, like, wear all the cute pink outfits, you know. And I love that my job also allows me to, when I take a photo of that cute pink outfit, get a bunch of feedback that's like, oh, my God, you're so cute and pink. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> it's so rewarding. And, you know, I, I do love attention. Everybody loves attention. Sure. And it is very easy to just fall into that trap. But I also have a life outside of performing. And, you know, I talk to people who aren't in the industry and I have friends outside of this world, which I think is also very important. We can get lost sometimes in the bubble of porn or yes. bubble of in the blank career. Yep. And, you know, that's, it's, it's part of staying like both mentally and physically healthy is to just continuously doing different things and challenging your body and, you know, challenging your mind more. You know, I started reading more because again, I have the time now I can schedule my time differently, which is a blessing because as a teacher, as you know, I was getting paid for 40 hours and working probably 60 to 70, depending yeah, on the week. hundred percent. You know, so yeah. Reading professional development books, let alone reading a personal book. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> you know, so I feel like I do get to live a, a much healthier and more fulfilled life than I did as a teacher because I'm not coming home at 6 p.m. smashing whatever I can into my face to like, you know, eating and whatever, and then maybe not falling asleep on the couch an hour later. Yeah, of course. Of course. It's interesting. You brought up uh, friendships and stuff. Is it, do you find it more difficult now to make friends outside of your industry because, because of uh, all the performances that you've done? To be honest, I don't because I live in Vegas in a place where people are pretty right, open. Right, right. You know, so people don't care that I do porn. They're like, oh, cool. Uh, so, and then we continue talking about something else. Or I just, if I don't, if I don't want to tell them that I'm a porn star, I say I, I do some modeling. And that is not atypical here in Vegas. Yeah. So it's not really that big of a deal. Typically... Um, so I used to do some swinger cruises and I would teach some classes as like the resident porn star on board. And that has led me to a lot of more open-minded friends uh -huh. and people who know what I do think it's cool. But we also have all these other things in common, which is why we continued to stay friends. <laughs> yeah, right. That's cool, man. That's really cool. Yeah. And you're right about Vegas. 
By the way, Vegas is such a fascinating place. I have a love-hate relationship with Vegas. You know, like what's it like living there? Uh, very different than you would expect. It's a lot It's a lot quieter than you would think. Um, and to be honest, it's really like house on top of house. That's the thing I really don't like about it. There's not very much privacy. You have to kind of go out to the more of the outskirts to be able to have a bigger backyard and some taller trees. And, mm-hmm. you know, like a lot of these places are just very quickly put together neighborhoods, HOA type situations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's very cookie cutter (laughs) Mm -hmm. but there are some really cool places and there's some really cool history too so that's the part that's really neat to me is having all the history of the strip and the mobsters and all that stuff is so neat um so i really love the you know because i live in a place where people vacation yeah so that's really cool and when i lived in la i was like oh my gosh the place where everybody like everybody knows about la and we listen we hear about it in songs and we see it in movies and you know all these things so it's it was kind of like going through a checklist of like okay saw the hollywood sign okay watch hollywood (laughs) boulevard you know like different things and so it's kind of cool to just like have lived there and be able to tell people oh yeah like just you know Hollywood and Vine, like it's not as fancy as you might think. <laughs> yeah, of course it's not. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, and that is that's the beauty of living where people are like different in that way. I feel like LA and Vegas, and even to some extent Miami, yeah, uh, people are different. Yeah, uh, yeah, because Miami's got a huge uh, porn industry down there. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, and this is probably just me working off a of hearsay. But wasn't didn't Miami's porn industry grow because of the law here in in uh, California that you condom had law. condom law, right? Isn't that how that yeah. happened? Yeah, and you know, there's a lot. <laughs> Reality Kings originally started on the beaches of of Miami because they're you know just some guys with cameras before we had any rules about mm-hmm. how we had to film and what we had to do. Um, they were just like going on the beach and finding girls and being like, do you want to fuck? I'll pay you. Like, you know, like for this, for this movie. And that's literally how he, how they did casting. And that is so like, when you think about it that way, it's like, wow, this is crazy. It's so dangerous, but also like there were no standards. Yeah. So now we've gotten better and you know, there's now there's an industry behind all of this and testing and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. But yeah, the original MILF Hunter and all those types of things, Captain Stabbin, all those sites that Reality Kings had were all because some guys got together and were like, let's film some sex. Yeah, 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 yeah. And now it's become an industry like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cause, cause- now it's now I shoot for those sites. It's kind of crazy <laughs> to like see the, <laughs> you know, the change from then to now and so much paperwork and all that kind of stuff. But. Well, it was also an interesting change content wise when you start to think about porn. Cause prior to that, you look at porn from the nineties and, mm-hmm. and even earlier, and it just felt incredibly staged and almost yeah. lethargic to a certain extent. And then the excitement of like, someone grabbing a camera and the ability to walk up to a stranger on a beach and just go like, I want to see you fucking naked. And they would do that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it'll never work these days. Yeah. No, it's crazy. Those would be like, uh, you can see it on my only fans. <laughs> <laughs> Which, okay. So this is another interesting thing, right? So you've got, you've got like these websites like Pornhub, which essentially mm-hmm. took the the business model of fucking YouTube, which is yeah. at one point in time was like, we're just going to steal a bunch of shit and put it up here for yeah. views. And then after a certain period of time, 
more people are going to the stolen fucking websites than are actually going to the producers' websites, yep. and so then they become the industry standard. Which I think it it seems to me like it would with how YouTube has changed content and how much people pay for content. Mm -hmm. uh, it must have really put a lot of these businesses out of fucking business. Yeah. Um, and then it, I'm sure it lowered the budgets for whatever these shoots are and the payments that went out to you guys for whatever these sure. shoots were. Yeah, because you know your content's being stolen, and really, it's the DMCA that is that was the thing that kind of made it possible for us to take back some of that control. What is the DMCA? DMCA is the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Right. Right. And right. So now you know I own a video, and some Joe Schmo screen records it and puts it on. You know, previously puts it on Pornhub because they don't have to have a profile. They could just put shit up there. Yeah. And so a hundred thousand people go view that instead of going to my page. Yeah. Well, I want those views because Pornhub's paying me for those views and you're getting them instead of me, but that's my content that you stole. Right. Yeah. So it's the same with music. I'm sure. Sure. hundred percent. 100%. And, and LimeWire and all the <laughs> types of companies. And, and, and then it's like, well, I, how do like I, I need some rights to this because now this is online and now it's being spread by more people because they're taking it and they're downloading it and they're putting it on other sites. So you have to submit the DMCA, which basically says I own this content. Uh, I, you know, here's a, a copy of this content that I own that shows that, you know, proves my ownership or I have a watermark in this video mm -hmm. on, on the video that is stolen on your website it says my name, Unreal. you know, and so it's, it's easier to take that kind of stuff down, but that's only in the United States. Yeah. It's so unreal to me that these come and th like the entire industry, your industry and my industry have been changed by these fucking websites that just yep. their business model is like, eh, let's do it until we get in trouble for it. You know? And you're like, fuck, you've just destroyed an entire industry by doing this. So uh, again, I'm happy to put everything behind a paywall. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But, put it all. but at this point, what I find interesting when I talk to a lot of adult performers is that they're using Pornhub now and they'll do a scene or they'll do a shoot uh, specifically to advertise their own content. That seems to be where you guys are making most of your money these days is with OnlyFans yeah. and whatever these content providers Absolutely. are. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, or you, you take seven minutes of, of the thing and make like a, almost like an extended trailer of what you want to put for Pornhub. It's called the Pornhub edit. Yes. <laughs> and, and then you, you know, you use it as a marketing tool because let's be honest, Pornhub's getting billions of eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, And I can't compete with that. Why would I want to? You know, I, yeah, it'd be great if only the stuff that I have is on Pornhub, but I'm also getting my name out there. Like there's an, there's a price to pay for that, I think. And that's just in the digital age. That's what it is. The price is, you know, just the reproduction of your content. Um, now, because you're shooting content specifically for Pornhub, you want that content to go out. You've chosen for that to be marketing and you're putting the money that you would normally get paid to do that content. You're putting that in, back into your own business and you're, you're making, you know, you're making fans out of it, which is in the long run going to make much more sense than just getting paid for the scene once. Sure. And I think that's what everybody's looking at. You look at podcasts now and you look at, uh, 
um, how uh, liberating like a lot of comedian podcasts have been where now that they, they don't have to answer to a network, they don't have to do spec, they don't have to do any of that shit. And they can now offer up paid services and private services and do free stuff. And they're still posting on YouTube and YouTube pays like ridiculously low for the amount of yeah. fucking traffic that they get and the advertisements that they run on all your fucking pieces. It drives me crazy. But um, it ends up playing out well for these folks because they've capitalized on connecting with the audience and connecting with their fans. Yes, because that's something that nobody can sell but me. Yeah, exactly. You can't pirate that. That's fascinating. Yeah. And then I'm sure you're selling like merch and you're doing all sorts of different angles. Merch that. is such a nightmare because it's really hard to find people to, to do merch for nudity or lingerie stuff. And Really? British, I yeah, I'm having. I had a hard time, and then just the quality. I really want a specific kind of quality, and the people who are willing to do it for porn stars don't really deliver the quality that I want. So I've kind of like taken a back seat on merch um, for now. I want to do a calendar next year. Mm -hmm. I want to have a couple things, um, but I'm also not going to conventions right now, so there's no place to really market that. Yeah. So I'm just kind of sitting tight. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been that way for everybody, you know, obviously. Yeah. That's fascinating. And so do you do an OnlyFans page as well? I have an OnlyFans, but I'm actually moving on from OnlyFans to loyal fans because, you know, OnlyFans has been in the media lately with some not so great headlines. And yeah. I just don't see the company continuing to keep sex workers on their platform for very much longer. Yeah. They just got a new CEO and I just, it's not looking good for us. And I just wanted to make sure that my fans had a place to find me when only fans goes down because it is not a question of if anymore, they tried to deplatform us. Uh, I want to say in October, yeah. um, kind of all of a sudden. And there was a huge outpouring of support from all over. It wasn't just porn people. Sure. A lot of people saw what they were doing and they were like, damn, you guys are going to get rid of the people who <laughs> built you. <laughs> That's like Dunkin' Donuts saying that they're not going to do coffee anymore. It's exactly. like, what are you, what are you exactly. doing? What are you and, doing? And everybody was like, oh yeah, there was another company that did that. What was their name? Oh, Tumblr. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's crazy how these companies, like these giant companies want to rebrand yeah. themselves. Yeah. Because yeah. now they've got a following and they've got all these people, but they don't realize that once they take away the sex, those people go. Exactly. Not the cooking tutorials, they're just not. Exactly. Exactly. That's why. Oh, why do you have your OnlyFans account? Oh, to learn how to cook. Yeah, right. Yeah, sure right. You sure you do, buddy. Everybody um, can see through that shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I wanted to go to a site that was built by people um, who have been in this industry for a long time. And, uh, you know, I being um, a, I would say top 50 performer in this industry, mm -hmm. I was able to, you know, see the progression from then having that first site to now moving on to this. And it's just so much more user friendly. Um, they want people to access their content. Whereas I feel OnlyFans does not want people to have access to their content. Um, anything you buy on OnlyFans can sometimes be deleted because you don't own it. Oh my <laughs> so God. only fans can just decide, Oh, we're going to delete all these videos that got sent uh, for free, Ugh. Ugh. which to me is almost all of my custom videos for my custom clients because they pay the full amount in advance. And then when I deliver the video, I don't send it to be locked. So they lose the content that they've actually paid to have custom made for them. So uh. I always contact them and I'm like, look, if you just tell me, remind me what it was and I'll send it to you a different way because I do, like you paid for that content. You should have it. Sure. Of course. It's kind of crazy that the, the, the mediary, right? The 
OnlyFans people are just deciding like, oh, and this is, and again, these are the little things that they're going to do over the next few months that are going to make us all fed up to the point where we just leave. And then they don't have to make this big announcement that they are kicking off porn stars. We're going to be doing it ourselves. I see. It's it's all a game. It's such a fucking game. And, you know, ultimately it's in their purview. It is in their terms of service that they can change the terms of service whenever the fuck they want. Uh And they will, Uh and they'll do it quietly. And then they'll start hitting us with terms of service violations and then it'll be over. Yep. Oh yeah. These, these companies are super smart. They have, they have uh, lawyer departments that write those fucking things for them. I mean, OnlyFans is makes billions of dollars. Of course they have lawyers on staff who can get or circumvent this shit. Sure. And so when you're doing all that personal, you must be so fucking busy between working out and between keeping yourself healthy and testing. Full-time job, full-time job, but it is also full-time life. You know, like I would much rather talk to people through my sex Panther uh, app where I text and sex with them on the go, even, you know, and take phone calls and do video chats and interact with the, you know, like every time I have an interaction, it doesn't have to be, you know, at a desk. Sure. You know, from nine to five. <laughs> That's good. That's good. You know? So it's like, it makes it easy to just do my job anytime I want and anytime that I can and to be available to my fans because ultimately like the Lexi Luna doesn't exist without them. Yeah. If they don't like, if they stop liking all of my stuff and nobody likes me anymore, then bye. Like there's no point for me to even have porn out because if nobody's paying attention nobody's you know looking at at you and wants to see more there's no demand it's very simple so the way to keep demand is to be available and to be be the star yeah no i mean that's everybody's plight these days that's not that's my plight that's how i get people to listen to this fucking show yeah yeah, no I, i get it man i totally get it i'm fascinated too we're doing how are you doing on time are you okay i'm great okay great um, uh, you're me from a workout, so we're good. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You, you, you prolong the workout. You caught me from my bike ride, so I just got back from my bike ride too. Um, <laughs> I do that once every once in a while. Uh, so how does it work for you? So at this point, your body is your tool, right? Your body yes. is your gear. It is what you use to make your money. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, you must just get exhausted by it. You must just get exhausted by all of the stuff that you need to do. So without getting too personal, how does that translate into, you know, what the rest of us deal with, with, with that, when it's like, you know, having someone that you're with that wants to have sex or someone that does it, does it become tiresome for you? Like, like, do you have to? Right. Right. I get this question a lot actually. And it's a very valid question. I, I feel like my personal life and my sex life are my work life are very kind of intermingled. You know, I don't, I get to come on set. I get to have sex with gorgeous guys and they're all really sweet and everybody's respectful. Like, do I need to date? Yeah. Okay. There you go. (laughs) All of my needs filled. And then I get to come home and be alone and just enjoy my peace and my quiet and maybe film some content here and there. And then, you know, when I start to get lonely again, I go hit, hit up my, my porn friends or I go hit up my swinger friends or, you know, like it's a really nice balance. I'm not the, I'm not the type of person who ever like really wants to be married or have kids or family or anything like that. It's not for me. Got it. Yeah. So so it's like the perfect thing that I never would have discovered if I hadn't come into this career. And I, you know, I probably would have eventually gotten married and had kids for somebody else, 
But now I get to live this life for me and I get to make all the choices. And if I decide in a year that I want to date and I want to find somebody and, you know, you know, introduce somebody into this craziness that is my life, (laughs) then I can do that. And, you know, I can do it in a healthy way where I've decided that's what I want to do. And I'm not getting into a relationship because I can't afford to not be in one. That's very smart. It sounds like you've got a good head on those shoulders of yours. I do, you know, and it's been a lot of soul searching and figuring this out and a lot of panics a lot of times where i'm like what if this career dumps me because that's very possible sure but but at the same time like i'm constantly growing and getting better and i'm reaching more people and i'm you know just i'm doing my i'm continuing to grow as well it's not like the industry's outgrowing me i'm growing too yeah no and i think that's hard to to like admit sometimes is that we always are like, oh, I wish I could do this type of scene, or I wish I could make this type of money. But we don't ever realize that, like, you're getting somewhere. You're mm. you're going. You're like, there is a you. You're better today than you were yesterday. Like my performance that I did yesterday on set, it won't be as good as the next one I do because I will have remembered something that I learned and you know mm-hmm. something to to refocus on and to pay attention to. Oh, I really liked how yesterday I rode his dick with my ass arched out a little bit farther. That looked really good. <laughs> Yeah, no, of course, because you're learning how to perform. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a constant learning and it constantly changes. And I think that's why it really works for me. That's cool, man. And we have a lot of the same things, man. We have a lot of the same parallels where you're constantly learning and you're looking for that opportunity to either get behind the camera or in front of the camera and test your skills again. And a lot of the insecurities like, uh, are people going to like the work and how long am I going to be relevant? And yes. All of that stuff is no. is the same. It's the same but in both of our industries. That's the thing that you can't dwell on. If you start to dwell on your popularity, you'll never be popular because yeah. it'll never be. It'll it'll never match to whatever goal you've set, or maybe you haven't set a goal and you're just like more is more, and that's really a dangerous thing to put in your head because you don't really control it as much as you think you do. Yeah. Yeah. Because I can't make people like Lexi Luna, but I can be myself and people will come to me because they like that. How do you stay so mentally healthy? Like, is there a process for you for this? Or did someone teach I, you something? Like, where did, the, where did this yeah, come from? You know, I, d- I did have a really good mentor kind of getting out of the teaching world. And then a second mentor kind of like in my first really serious relationship. And I learned a lot about things that like are my coping mechanisms. And I was just really fortunate to have healthy people around me who Mm -hmm. could help me recognize it in a healthy way and not be like, you're doing this and you need to stop because that's not helpful. (laughs) So I did do a lot of personal growth and all that. And that all happened before the industry. So, you know, it was, I I came into this already with a, a piece about myself and knowing who I am and knowing what I want. And yeah, I was a little uncomfortable in this industry. And I think that's necessary to be, to be able to grow. And, you know, there were times where I would look at around at a room full of people at an event and be like, I'm an imposter. They all know that I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I, I don't belong here. Why the fuck do I belong here? I've only been doing this for two months, right. you know, and all those thoughts creep into your head and you're like, I'll never be as successful as these people. Yeah. Well, believe me, I, I have the same thoughts. So <laughs> I get it. I get the same thing. So and I don't think you talk about it enough that it's like, yeah, that's okay. Like that doesn't mean that you're spiraling or that you're, you know, going into a depression. It just means that you're like, you're like struggling a little bit and you are seeing what, you know, what levels there are in this industry and in this job. And that you're kind of just seeing like, okay, I want to be where, you know, pick a level that you want to be at. And then how do you, how do you wiggle out of the cocoon to get there? Yeah, of course. 
Of course. And that's the personal growth is really the thing that has been the most like surprising to me being in the adult industry is just how much, how much time I have to analyze it and to look at myself in a different perspective and then to meet so many different types of people for so many different walks of life in this industry that, you know, also have had other things, you know, and sharing experiences is so important because that's the only way to, to bring it to light is to, you know, talk about it and to make make it known because everybody goes through it but yeah. we're like oh I'm, I'm the only one that's going through this and it's so <laughs> damaging <laughs> yeah no it is it is and that's what we try to do on the show is really sort of talk about the realities behind all this stuff because look porn's not going anywhere like the nope. porn industry is not going anywhere and we've 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 touched upon it slightly but there's a lot of dangers to younger folks watching this stuff without the context and without understanding context. And I think it's important that we talk about that context. I almost wish that there were porn videos where they would start the porn video with you guys discussing what you're going to do and having the consent. Like that yeah. shit should be out there, you know, yeah. just so that you understand that this isn't real. And we spend so much time as content creators, whether you're a director, whether you're a porn creator, creating a fake world and studying the emotional connection and the emotional response that people have to specific lighting, to specific outfits, to whether or not your tits are pushed up, to whether or not you're holding yourself in a silhouette a specific way, all these things automatically will trigger something in most people, if not all people. And that's our job is to examine these things and manipulate these things. Yes, we are here to exploit the feelings. A hundred percent. And, you know, that's always been our focus because that's where the cash comes from. The more exploitation that you can do, the more emotional that someone feels in a movie. I was so attached to these two fucking characters. The more money happens. Look at how much fucking Spider-Man made. And there I've been attached to, you know, cast members of whatever, you know, whatever I'm watching. And, you know, you kind of have to think like, okay, these are real people and (laughs) they're going to do what you want them to do. And, you know, it's, it's a really interesting parallel because I really feel like, porn like art life imitates art <laughs> yeah and we we do so and i mean porn is campy in its own right sometimes and we do over the top stuff just to like be ridiculous and, and crazy and it's so not real life but it is fun and people want it to be real life and it is really easy to convince yourself that it could be real life if you don't have any other experiences <laughs> yeah, like like you're going to walk into a room and your best friend's mom was trying to get the remote control out from underneath the couch and she gets porn. stuck. You know what I mean? It's like... I knew where that was heading. I uh, love stuffed porn. It's so much fun to act that. Like, because it's like, you're not really stuck, but like you kind of feel like you are when you get into that position and then you're like, no, I'm supposed to pretend I'm stuck. Or like, what would my body do? And you get into this character and then you're like overdoing it. It's great. I love it. But nobody's getting stuck, guys. Furniture is so light these days. <laughs> I know. I love that. I love that that was your day where you're like, I have to figure out how to convincingly be stuck in this dryer. <laughs> like <it's-> <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. my God. Uh, well, look, Lexi, this has been f- so much fun. Um, and uh, I'm very impressed with uh, how you process this industry and how you've got into this industry. And it's nice um, to hear a story or hear your story that is that seems healthy, at least based upon this conversation. Everything that you're doing seems like pre-thought out. It seems For like sure. you're very aware of what's going on. Um, and I think that's a healthy message to put out there because, like I yeah. said, 
porn's not going anywhere. And no. pe people are looking for ways to make money. People are looking for attention. People are looking for this stuff. And I think it's important to put out positive messaging on this and, and yeah. just to show that, you know, not every woman in the porn industry has been sexually abused. Not every woman in the business is doing it for the wrong fucking reason. Um, and I think that's healthy. That's good. Cause you don't want it to be a business of just, um, you know, emotionally charged, you know, craziness. You want it to be, you know, responsible to a certain extent. Yeah. If you're going to be on the internet forever, you better make the most of it and you better, you know, make it good and, and, and leave the imprint you want. Don't do what somebody else wants you to do if you don't want to do it. And I know that it can be, you know, like it's so much more than that, but you, you can make these choices too. You can make the same choices I did to research and to do your due diligence and you can have a healthy life in porn. I'm saying, you know, like for somebody who's looking into that, not everybody, it's not for everybody. Sure. You know, those are lessons that can be taken across different fields. Doing the due diligence is always the right thing. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think your outlook and do you think the way that you process everything would have been the same if you had started in this business at like 19? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. That's interesting because I went to college. I explored life with my peers. I had sexual partners before I decided to jump into porn. I worked with a, a girl who only had sex one time before porn. You know, like I had more experience. I, I, I lived a different life and then I chose to live another different life. And I think that's really what it comes down to is the more experiences you can get, the better. See, there's an interesting parallel between this business and the music business. And if you look in the music business, the companies, the the labels, the history of labels, they prefer to bring somebody in super young, super impressionable. They yeah. hit them up with a bunch of cash and then they they run them dry. They ring them out, they run them dry. Look at fucking, you know, like Billie Eilish and all these super, super, super young, you know, Disney club kids. All the yeah. She's living still. Yeah. Like you, you, you. You feel like they're just being exploited, and you feel like that's part of the business model for those folks. Right. Yeah, um, and it's a cautionary tale. Any of the girls that I had met through the uh, few years that I did um, suicide girl stuff, they all signed up pretty young, and as soon as they hit a certain age, they were regretful of it. Yeah, and as you start to see the contracts, like I remember reading some of the contracts that these girls would get, and I'm like, "Are you fucking crazy?" Do not sign that shit. Like, do not be in, in, involved with that sort of thing. Um, and I think it's... You don't know. And when you're young, you don't know a lot. Right. And you're preyed upon pretty hard because that demographic is what we're selling everything to. Mm -hmm. You know? So um, I, I think it's just important to point that out, that you definitely got into the business older. And yeah. those life experiences helped you shape this into a career and not necessarily a crutch. Yes, you know? or a regret. Yeah. Yeah. Cool shit, man. This has been great. This has been a good yeah, conversation. Me. This is really fun. Um, so let me ask you this. Let me wrap this up. Um, and then I'd love to try to do another segment with you if you still get some time. But yeah. um, <clears throat> I usually ask questions of guests at this point in the episode. So if, if there's somebody who is looking into – uh, something like this, if they want to get into this industry, um, what do you suggest 
what would you suggest them? Like if, if they're approached to get into this business, let's say someone posted some like pictures of themselves online and then they were hit by a recruiter. What would you tell them to do? I would tell them that if they're really interested and are okay being naked on camera and in front of audiences for years to come, that they should uh, not jump into doing that. They should cam. You should get on cam sites uh, and you should see yourself performing mm. because that is a pretty low risk way to be be on the internet, but not like be peddled to millions of viewers like a browsers or a reality kings shoot can do for you yeah um so see how your body looks on cam do you like it do you like the way you perform do you like the way you look do you like getting sexual in front of people who are watching and having those little like you know knowing which way to turn and how to angle your body the right way and all those different things that you can kind of get a head start on and see if that's something you even like or record yourself just make us do a solo masturbation video record yourself and watch it back and see what you think and if it makes you shy or embarrassed or scared or any of those feelings you shouldn't do it and but if you feel empowered and you feel excited and you're like oh that was really hot then you know maybe talk to that recruiter and see or or reach out to any porn performer girl and be like i'm really interested in doing this type of thing and you know, be serious about it and send photos and, you know, say what you want and, and ask, ask questions. I hit up female performers all the time who have a different career than I do. And I ask for advice and I ask them, you know, how do you do this? Or why did you choose that? Or, you know, just because there's no way for us to communicate besides online. Sure, so sure. whenever I get approached by somebody female who is interested in this industry, I really like take my time and I show them all the things because I feel very confident that I have a well-rounded view of this. And if I can show you here are different types of scenes that are available and what I do and what I don't do and why and that kind of stuff and just kind of empower them to make the decision for themselves instead of somebody's offering it you it never crossed your mind and you're like fuck it yeah I'll do it like <laughs> it should be more thought, thoughtful than that <laughs> There it is. Today's episode. Man, I really like Lexi. She's cool. I like how smart she is. I like how thought out her whole process is. She's really fun to talk to. Um, and I really respect what she's done with her career. And I respect her outlook. And I respect um, her, her want and need to educate folks. Um, and I hope that uh, this episode may have changed some of your preconceived notions about the performers in this industry. Not all performers are wounded animals. Not all performers are, uh, you know, being taken advantage of. And, uh, if you're somebody who is considering getting into this industry, take her advice, um, which is, uh, take your time, ask a lot of questions. Um, think about it long and hard. If you're young, spend some time doing other things, experience other things before you decide um, to choose a path that will define you, whether or not you want it to. And it could define you in a positive way, and it can define you in a negative way. And there are a lot of people that are still ashamed of sex. There are a lot of people that are still threatened by sex, threatened by the power that comes with that. And so if you're going to decide to uh, go down that route, you just may be a magnet for a lot of their internal shit. 
Think about all that, man. Uh, and make a solid decision that feels healthy. Make a decision that feels progressive. And uh, I hope we've helped a little bit on the show. And don't take it from me. Take it from Lexi. That's all I'm here for. I'm just asking her questions and uh, trying to learn a little bit from her. And hopefully, in uh, as a side effect to that, you guys learn a little bit for yourselves. Um, and thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for supporting me. Big shout out to all the newcomers here. Welcome. You get to enjoy the sounds of the garbage truck pulling down the street like the rest of us do on all the other shows. And if you're new and you want to get into it, this same level of honesty carries across all the different industries that we interview on this show, all the different folks. And how do I pick my guests? Really, at the end of the day, it's people that I want to hang out with. It's people I want to know more about. I do the show incredibly selfishly. I'm the boss. There isn't anybody above me. I'm making all these calls. So I'm trying to keep it as real as I can for everybody at home. Thanks for listening. Lots more episodes on the way. I've got such a large queue. I'm trying to sort my way through of what's coming out. Just this week alone, I have interviewed six people. <laughs> it's been out of control. Multiple episodes a day. Woo. It's been fucking nuts. Um, but I hope you guys are loving it and respecting it. And please do me a favor right now. The only place that you can leave a review for this show that uh, is worth anything, that helps our algorithms, is on Apple Podcasts. Now, we don't host the show on Apple Podcasts. To give you a little insider info, we actually host the show on SoundCloud. I did it years ago. It was the best deal. I actually like their analytics a lot, but the RSS feed goes out to all the other outlets. So like you can listen to the show on Spotify, you can listen to the show on, on uh, Stitcher and on Apple Podcast. For some reason, the only place that takes reviews to heart is Apple Podcasts. So even if you don't listen to the show there, if you have an iPhone, just click on your podcast icon, look up in love with the process, put my name in there if you're having trouble. Then scroll down. You'll see almost 200 episodes at this point. Scroll down past like five or six episodes. Then the little review thing shows up. Give me some stars. Let me know. Rate me. Validate me. Crucify me. But leave me a review. And that will help us. I'm telling you right now. It does. Um, yeah. Big shout out. Thank you, everybody. And please... If you fast forwarded through my ad reads, which you shouldn't have because there's always some funny shit that I do in there, um, please just click through on the links below. Make sure that you check out the sponsors. If you enjoy the show and you want to help, but you don't have any cash, just write to any of these sponsors on their Instagram account and say, hey, we heard you on In Love With The Process. We think you're pretty cool. That's it. That helps. That's all you have to do. While you're listening to the show and you're brainlessly shuttling through fucking Instagram, why not type in one of the sponsor fucking Instagram pages and do that? Because it helps me, man. I'm telling you, it really does. The more sponsors I get, the more I can do this shit, the more I don't have to worry about paying my bills, and I can focus on doing this and the movie prep. And speaking of the movie prep, things are still moving ahead. Deep in storyboard work right now. Still deep in all that stuff. It's been great. Very exciting. Everybody's sort of been processing COVID. I hope you guys are staying safe and sane. It's been tough. I did get it. Gina got it. And then, you know, it, you go through that initial round of like Omnicron or whatever the fuck they're calling it. Age of Ultron. Um, 
But then the thing just sticks around. Next thing you know, you still have a sore throat. You're still getting congestion, even though it's passed through your system. I know it's draining. Have you guys noticed how fucking draining the month of fucking January has been for everybody? I get it. Chin up. Life's going to get better. It's going to get warmer. It's going to stop snowing where you are. And uh, we're all going to get back to work. We're all going to hang out again. So it's coming. In the meantime, you can come back here and listen to the show. And for those of you who are new and you're looking at the amount of episodes that we have and you're like, Jesus, where do I start to go back to the beginning? Head on over to inlovewiththeprocess.com. I've curated all the episodes there based upon subject material. So if you just want to listen to our porn star episodes, you'll find them there in the actor section. I don't have a porn star section for them because I consider them actors. They're in the actor section. You can also find directors and chefs and everything else. So head on over to inlovewiththeprocess.com and check it out. That's it. I love you guys. And as always, I will see you next Tuesday.